And welcome to another Round the Rotary podcast with me, your host, J.P. Warren. And with us in the studio today, we have James Metcalf III, a.k.a. Trey, who's the SVP, Senior Vice President. Of, of op- Intrepid Directional Drilling Specialists. Of operations. Of operations. At Intrepid Directional Drilling Specialists. I don't know what you were queuing me up for there. I wasn't queuing you anything. I was just pointing at you. You're just pointing at me. You got it? I did. We're in. Okay, we're good. Well, anyway, uh, James, so uh, first off, thanks for joining us today. I know you live in Midland currently, right? So you decided to come in town to do this podcast, the number one rated oil and gas podcast per my wife out there right now. So first off, thanks for coming in. And you and I met at the uh, last year's Super Bowl party. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I came out there and... uh we only spoke briefly. So. We only spoke briefly. So this is actually kind of the second time that you and I have actually gotten together and, and uh, kind of sat around the table and talked a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah I'm happy to be here. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I, well thank you for being here. Uh, Exclusively came to Midland just for the, or Houston just for this. Well, you know what? I, I, I think that's probably a good thing. So we want to hear your story today. We want to hear what you're all about. And uh, you and I talked about uh, a little bit before this, and we have some, uh, some kind of good banter going on right now. But before we kicked off, why don't you give us a little background about yourself and kind of, you know, who you are, where you're from, and just kind of cue us up. Yeah, so kind of uh, I'll go all the way back, and I'll keep this as brief Take as possible. Take us there. Yeah, Take I'll us go there. all the way back. I was, uh, I was born out in Laurel, Mississippi. Parents were out there. Dad. Laurel, Mississippi? That's Laurel, what Mississippi. Tara Clark's from. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so my dad was out there in the early 90s just you know, the nineties were kind of like it is now. It was tough for a long time. And, uh, so my dad had a job out there on the drilling side, doing some corner shooting activities okay. in, in Mississippi. And then when I was two, my dad took a job with Newfield and then we moved out to the woodlands. And that's where I grew up, uh, until I was about 16. And then I went to boarding school in Delaware. Okay. And then after two years of boarding school, and it's not because I was a total problem child. I, I, had, I think I had my obedience issues of my own. But I feel like everyone has their obedience issues. Yeah, yeah. But I had my fair share, but I didn't go to boarding school because of that. I just kind of went because I wanted a change of scenery. Okay. And, uh, okay. and then I went to Marietta College in Ohio. I studied petroleum engineering. I graduated. Um, so did you want to get in petroleum engineering because you're uh, your dad? Yeah, I kind of grew up in it, right? I mean, I gra- I. I are you first generation, third generation? Second generation okay. oil field. Okay, so your dad uh, was the first one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so my dad's first generation oil field. Um, I think a good way to put it is I only applied to three schools. I applied which, to which, the, which three schools? Well, I applied to Syracuse, okay. which is where my grandparents my mom's side went. All right. And then I applied to the Naval Academy, and which is a whole other story. Okay. And then I applied to Marietta. Okay. And so I was legacy at Marietta. My parents both went there. Um, my sister was currently there. My uncle went there. Okay. So, so it's, a, it's a little family, family thing. There. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's a family thing. So <clears throat> anyways, I, well, I, I wanted to do engineering regardless of where I went. Were you always good at like math and I was good at what I was good at and I was really crappy at the things I didn't care about. That's my move. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's kind of why I didn't get into the Naval Academy is when they looked at my transcript, they could tell that oh, I, dude. I probably didn't try at anything. And there were certain things I was really good at naturally, and then other things that if I didn't try, I just looked like garbage. I kind of feel like we mirror our lives in that sense because <clears throat> I remember in high school, like I got like voted like top seventieth percentile, and I was like, "Shit, yeah, like this is awesome. Like I'm smarter than seventy percent of the class." Like, no, 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 JP, no, seventy percent of the class is performing better than you at academics. I'm like, oh, that makes more sense. Thus, that's why I'm in the seventy. That's why I'm the seventy percent. So that's when you learned when the percent about the percentiles and how they. That's work. why I learned I'm not going to go be an engineer. 
I'm gonna go marketing. That's 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 when I figured that out. But yeah, so I uh, the, the the Naval Academy kind of I think saw through my BS in terms of how I operated in life. And right, I wasn't really in line with. Did the you want to go military? Yeah, my grandfather was a paratrooper, and I always looked up to him, okay. envied him for his experiences. Thought it was cool. Did admirable. you talk about it a lot? Not a lot, but it was present. You know, yeah, yeah, he yeah. was proud about it. Right. He didn't talk about it, but he wore it. You know, in and some so ways, you saw that pride, and you're like, "Gosh, I kind of, I, I want something like that." Yeah, and he knew I was, it was when I was a little kid, generally obsessed with the idea, of right, it, right, right. And so he always fed into that with like my Christmas presents would be airborne themed, or you know, he'd have something for me, whatever. Right. So, uh, but I had that idea, and the deal I made with my mom was that if I went into the military before I went to college, it would have to be through the academies, right, and so. That was my. You want to get commissioned when you get out? Oh, yeah. Me. Hey, man, I was in the core cadets at Texas A&M. I get it. I get why you want to go through those stages and, and get that commission. I do. Yeah. So they didn't take me. I did get into uh, Syracuse, though. But unfortunately, I got into their uh, sports broadcasting program, which when I applied to it, I had that as the number one. And then I had engineering as the number two. Okay. And then I had... I don't know, some math or statistics or something, some other STEM kind of subject. Yeah, the cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, really, like with the cool people, yeah. with the jock stuff. Statistics, man. And um, so uh, I got into the sports broadcasting program at Syracuse, and I went there for a visit, and I was trying to transfer where I got into. And uh, it turned out that the sports broadcasting was like the uh, – I mean, the Syracuse sports broadcasting. I mean – You're the, telling me like I know what's going well, on. Well, it's 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 like the, the top – sports broadcasting program in the okay. country and I managed to get into it. But then when I was like, but I don't want to do that. I want to do engineering. And my, um, my guidance counselor in high school told me to go ahead and. So wait, why did you want to do engineering if you got in this uh, great program at Syracuse? Because I'm not a, I don't have a voice like yours. It does. It's not, it's not silky. Like oh, yours. But you have it's, the engineering mindset, I guess. Okay. You know, All right. Okay. I'm good at what I'm good at and I'm not good at what I'm not good at. Okay. Right? All right. Me. But, um, so I had a guidance counselor that urged me to put something that seemed easier as my first choice. Then I could always transfer into my second choice right. once I got in. That's well, a great they, guidance counselor. Yeah. Well, Syracuse, because it's a private university, uh, it happens to be ridiculously expensive. It's like $55,000 a year. Right. It's stupid. And they told me that I had to complete four semesters and maintain over a 3.5 GPA in sports broadcasting in order to even qualify to be able to apply. And so what is the sports broadcasting? What, what, what do the classes look like with that? Oh, I didn't even look at the syllabus. I don't know. I mean, is I, it like just like getting a good like chain, chain smoke well, with some heaters, getting a good voice, a good podcaster voice? I mean, you what, get what, it real deep. What is it? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's a, it's general. I'm sure your first two years are probably like what any journalism track is going to do. Just like with whatever major you do, your first year or two are just the general thing. Yeah, that anyone in yeah. that and that it's the weed out school. classes. Yeah, it's the weed out classes. Were you always into sports? No, but I, I, I put that down there because my guidance counselor told me to. Okay, you know? okay. I and did. I had no ambition to do sports broadcasting. You know, here I am uh, uh, proposing the questions like every 18, 19-year-old has any idea what they want to do. I remember when I went to college, I didn't know what I want to do for the first two years. I was general studies. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll just choose marketing. And somehow you ended up at A&M from Connecticut. If somehow Which I is did. even stranger That's a that's, that's a different topic, though. So sports casting was there, and you want, but you want to be an engineer. Yeah, so I was trying to get into the mechanical engineering program, and they just I just knew myself well enough to where there was no way in hell. I had no shot in hell in okay. any subject I did to be okay. able to 
spend $110,000 on education in the wrong direction and be able to maintain a 3.5 GPA just right. to get into the engineering program and start over. So you know what's funny? Like back, back in the day, like grades, like that GPA mattered so much. And I'm not saying GPAs aren't important. If people are out there listening right now, they are important. But like I remember back in the day, like GPAs mattered. You know what I mean? But but once you graduate, you're like, wait a minute, they don't they don't really matter that much. Like it's just as long as you got the paper, the degree. I mean, that's what matters. Yeah, there's definitely some threshold like on the engineering side. When I ended up getting a petroleum engineering degree from Marietta, um, so you got a PE degree. Yeah, so I did. I went to Marietta. It was one of my three. One Does Marietta have a good petroleum engineer uh, college? I think they do. Okay. I mean, I have pride. Um, there's three schools in the Midwest. There's Penn State, West Virginia, and Marietta. Marietta, what's the what's the mascot? Uh, we're the Pioneers, the Pios, baby. Okay. Yeah, we actually, through the 80s, ESPN voted us the worst NCAA football team uh, of the whole decade. So. Well, I miss the 80s. So anyway, so, the, so <laughs> Marietta Pioneers, PE, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and if you look at there's there's kind of three petroleum esque programs at Marietta. There's petroleum engineering. There's the land management program. I can't remember exactly what they branded it as. Right. And then there's the um, um, geology program. Okay. And so if you look at those, they're forty percent of the school probably. Yeah. It's a small school. It's got twelve hundred students in total. So were there? Were, I mean, so how did you? I mean, so you had classes bigger than my college. So probably. so you're doing PE. I mean, so how did you get recruited? I mean, how did you? Uh, so there, were there like oil field service companies or operators going up there recruiting out of that out of that college? Yeah. So I mean, all the big guys in the Northeast, you know, the EQTs of the yeah. world, and all those guys, Southwest, anyone who was drilling a lot in Pennsylvania at okay. the time was doing a lot of recruiting up there. We had long-term good relationships with Hess, Anadarko, Chevron. Probably Chevron and Anadarko were our two biggest recruiters by like volume over average attenders okay. or something like that. But but then you have all the – there's a lot of smaller companies up in the Northeast. A lot of the gas players yeah. are smaller. And you see a lot of the consolidation right now over the past couple of years up You're there. You're seeing that a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so, I mean, we had a good presence, and the, the program has been around for – as long as any program's been around in some way or fashion. And so what was your motivation to, to get into petroleum engineering? Uh, so my dad, uh, my dad was kind of a lifelong drilling and operations guy, whether it was, you know, engineering or middle management or right. senior management throughout the years. Um, and I kind of grew up in it. Um, I was fascinated by it. Uh, definitely looked up to my dad and idolized him as somebody that I wanted to be like when I was older. So you just figured this degree is kind of something that I can kind of emulate. Yeah, but not necessarily like a means to an end to get there, but something that I could do that would be, you know, achievable and a path that can be done and something that is rewarding and interesting. And I mean, you know, in the, in the oil and gas world, it's 24 seven, there's always something to do. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a different kind of lifestyle for sure. So, so you're already exposed to that on the front side. Yeah. 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 And like I said, you know, my, so my parents met in college, but they never dated or anything like that. And then they, they got together after the 10 year reunion for college. And Oh really? Yeah. It's a cool, it's a cool story. Well, tell us the story. Um, I don't want to butcher it too much. And like my mom listens to this. I apologize if you get anything wrong, but well, first off, I highly doubt she listens. Well, no, she listens she's, to this if you're on. She's pretty proud of me. So, she, you know, she'll probably, so listen. they met at their tenure. Uh, well, they knew each other in college. They yeah. ran, they ran in similar groups. Um, my dad was on the rowing team. He was in petroleum. So he had his petroleum guys, he had his rowing team buddies. And, and my mom, like, I think the only athletic activity she did at Marietta was she played she played rugby and in the first game she broke her jaw. Okay. So that was the end of her athletic career. Okay. Um, 
but anyways, they ran in the same circles. They knew each other very well, all that kind of stuff. And then they went to the 10 year reunion and I can't remember exactly how the story goes, but they were, you know, they were, I guess, hitting on each other at the 10 year reunion. And my dad was just completely oblivious to the fact that my mom was. Well, like all men are. Yeah. I mean, you're single, right? Yeah. I, I hadn't, I never had any idea when when someone was hitting on me or not. I was just oblivious. You're like, wow, they're nice. Oh yeah. Well, they're being very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. She's a nice person. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I guess one of my dad's buddies tipped my dad off and said, you know, Barb, Barb was hitting on you pretty hard. He goes, no, 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 no. She was just talking. Yeah. And I guess his wheels started spinning and he started thinking about it. And somehow they ended up linking up and they, uh, and my mom was in Baltimore. My dad was in, he was either in Houston or Lafayette at the time. I think he was in Houston. And, um, then they went on some trip to New York and that was it. Yeah. That was it. Then the rest is history. You were the future. Well, first it was my sister. She was, you she was the future. the future. Yeah. I was, right. yeah. Have then you, I came along. Have you, so when did you graduate uh, high school? Uh, 11. Okay. So you're not even at your tenure. No. Are you going to go? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be invited back. Oh, I'll bet you will. I've got some history, but maybe that's, for the next podcast. That's the next podcast. Yeah. So anyway, so anyway, so, so who did you uh, get on with after you graduated? Yeah. So I was, I was kind of lucky. I, it's, it's, my whole story is pretty serendipitous, in a lot of different ways. But um, when I was when I was going into my senior year of college, I got a job with uh, Endurance Resources, private equity-backed company from Lime Rock, or um, I guess it's Lime Rock Partners. Okay. It was the private equity company okay. that backed them. And I worked for a guy named Don Ritter, who was a Marietta guy. He hired me to be, like, the drilling intern. And they had let go of the drilling engineer and drilling manager, whoever it was, right before I showed up. Right. I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Right. And I was just, I mean, I learned how to do permitting. I still don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, I fumble around through life most days. But, um, but yeah, so I learned permitting. I learned, okay, casing design better than the the college drilling classes. They'll teach you casing design, but not really what you need to know. You actually learn the real world stuff. You know, applicable skills. Right. And just kept doing that kind of stuff and playing drilling engineer, if you will. And then when I finished out the summer i was still working for them part-time in college which was awesome really they paid well i worked like 40 hours a week which is not really part-time but i worked i worked plenty of hours was it what you thought it would be um that role not necessarily because it wasn't it wasn't like i don't know the authority level the technical the training all that kind of stuff wasn't there i was mainly helping get it done okay right that was the i mean that was the task i was i was assigned was just help to get things done right like let's not change the world you're not in charge of you're not coming in here. You're not interjecting your no. strategy. No, no, no. no. Like I mean, Just I had engineering. I had engineering responsibilities, um, but I didn't have. Yeah, I didn't have like a opinion based ability right. to, to move the needle in any direction. Right. I was purely objective work. Okay. And uh, but anyway, so I did that through college, and uh, I had a tough time getting a job. Um, probably similar to what a lot of people are going through right now. Right. You know, I was graduating in 15 and in oh, the fall that's, of, that's when, the so in the fall of 14 is when oil started falling fast. Right. That's right. That was, so that was my senior year. That was the recruiting season. That last fall of senior year, I thought I had a job in the bag with endeavor or endurance. And, uh, and it just started to disintegrate the opportunity. Yeah. Right. And I don't, you know, what was there was no longer there. So what were you thinking about? Cause I, I, I'll bet if people are listening now that are kind of uh, about to graduate, coming into the oil and gas industry and all that stuff, they're probably sitting in the same boat that you were back in the day. Like, you know, you know, shit's hitting the fan, things are falling, the job's not might not be there anymore. So kind of what what was your mindset during this this whole time? Yeah, you know, it was 
I think my my I think my dad says it best is when I told him that I was pretty much dead in the water on the endurance deal uh, in terms of working there because they didn't know if they could drill anymore. Right. They didn't know if they had a need for anyone. I mean, it is what it is. It's not yeah. it's not my control. It's not for me to judge anyone or be mad at anyone about. But that's what it was. And you know, it was one of those things where he's he told my mom. My mom was on my on my butt about you know he needs to go do this he needs to go yeah. do that blah 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 and my dad said you know what he's gonna he's gonna twist one off this weekend and then he's gonna get on it and I mean that's exactly what I did you know I took it in the shorts I was pretty upset and yeah. after that you know I I figured out whatever kind of applicable experience I had uh, luckily I had worked my last summer in the Delaware Basin in Lee County New Mexico off of the famous Battle Axe all yeah. those places right right and so I had experience there i had some interesting experiences through the endurance stuff and i leveraged those and just i mean i sent out probably a hundred different resumes with cover letters right like custom cover letters for every opportunity regardless now of were these just towards like operators yeah just op- i mean right. service companies too i mean oh, I took, really yeah i mean I, I it was always i think every patrol engineer goes into school with the dream of working for an operator right right and so that was my first direction right. my second direction was also trying to find those those other opportunities that exist just land a job that applies to your degree. something to learn something yeah that's all i needed i, I just needed to get in yeah. right i couldn't i couldn't spend four years getting this degree and then and then go yeah. go nowhere right go work I, at amazon that, yeah. yeah that wasn't that wasn't going to be an option to me so a lot of a lot of resumes a lot of cover letters um my i guess a good piece of advice for people is if you know of a company and you know of a person but you don't have their email just try to figure out what their email template is, and then try to make it up and see if it gets kicked back. Because if it doesn't get kicked back, they probably got it. All you need, all you need to do is just find out one other person's email. And how it's how it's organized. Whether it's the first, first letter, initial, first initial, last name, the underscore first, period, the dashes. first three letters. You figure that stuff out as a salesman. Yeah. you do a salesperson. Yeah, yeah you and, do. And that's 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 part of my my skills that I've crafted. Over so you're here. shooting at all these emails, all these cover letters, all these resumes. So what happened next? So through all of that, I got some good traction i got some positive feedback right. and i got some thank yous but no thank yous at the same time um but i ended up i ended up landing i was i took my uh actually one of the smartest things i did was i i went back to midland for endurance uh for my last spring break my senior year all my buddies were in panama city and all that kind of oh, stuff ripping it partying last spring break here we go at the end of our lives we're no longer in college Let's kind go of to midland and I went to and I went to Midland because I had a project I was doing because although they didn't have a job for me when I graduated, they still had things that I needed to do. Yeah. And so the good thing was is that they it was actually a really good deal. They'd pay me double. Okay. And they'd pay for all my time to travel. Which is huge college huge. days. For so spend a few thousand dollars on spring break or make a few thousand dollars working and it turns out to be a several thousand dollar swing. Right. So I went I went to Houston first and I was I was meeting with some EOG people. I think they were vetting me to make sure I wasn't just an absolute dirtbag or something right. like that. And then and then I happened to be in Midland and when I was finishing up that lunch in here in Houston, uh, downtown, they said, Well, what are you doing for the rest of the week? And I said, Well, I'm gonna go to Midland because I have this project I gotta finish up and I'll be spending the next four days doing that. And they said, Well, okay, cool. We just have you know, we got a new manager we just put in there. Uh, I'll get you guys linked up. That's great, you're gonna be in Midland. And I think they were, you know, I think I got the um I got the credit for the fact that I wasn't like, that you, going to the beach. That you right? were gung ho, just going to the beach or staying yeah. in Houston. You're actually going. Yeah, I was going to get some experience. Yeah, well, I was going to go get something done, and yeah. most importantly, make some money because I didn't have any means right. when I graduated at the point. Right. So, um, 
So anyway, so I go up there and for, I think yeah. For yeah, so I go up there for endurance. Yep. And they knew that I was looking for a job as well, so it wasn't anything I had to hide. But I got linked up for lunch with uh, a guy named Heath Work and a guy named Steve Munsell, two people that I think are great people, oil and gas. Uh, Steve well, were, Mun- were they mentors? Were they buddies? Well, so oh. so Heath Work was a drilling manager over at EOG in the Permian. Okay. And Steve Munsell uh, was a drilling advisor. And Steve was definitely like, he's a guru, godfather, cementing, casing. I think he does like a lot of mentorship on yeah. leadership and, and really trying to like steer the organization. At Which is kind of what you time. want, though. Yeah. I mean, during, during, during when, when times are shit, I mean, if someone picks you up as a mentor, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. So I, I ended up going to, uh, uh, I guess it's either George's or Jorge's in Houston. I don't, I don't have people. I don't know. But anyways. Uh, so we had we had lunch. Depending was, where you, yeah, yeah. Just, it just depends. But um, so we ended up having lunch. Me, Heath, and Steve, and they're asking me all these questions, and I'm telling them all like I'm, I'm doing permitting, I'm doing progs, I'm doing casing design, I'm dealing with the BLM, I'm doing all this blah 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 yeah. on the things that I'm doing, and they were just happy with my responses because uh, at least I was doing something that was applicable, I guess. And right. um, about two months later, I was walking home from I, I rented a townhouse. It was a three story townhouse that had five bedrooms, one bathroom, and had six people living in it at Marietta. Okay. <laughs> and I was walking my half mile back from campus home after my last regular semester test, and I got a call from Heath Work. And he basically said, Hey, we got you hooked up. We'll work out the details later. Just want to let you know. Okay. Right? I was ecstatic. I basically jumped up in the air and clicked my heels. I mean, I was right. Yeah, you know, I was happy. Yeah, I had something to look forward to because I was nearing weeks away from graduation. And it's it also was, during the it's also during the uh, the bust, right? Yeah, this is fifteen. Yeah. this is like you know mid April and fifteen yeah. or something, right? It was just getting crappier and crappier. That's the thick of it. Yeah, and so, um, anyways, by the time I get home. Before I get home, I get a call from Manny Sirgo, who worked under Don Ritter over at Endurance, and they offered me a job because I had been working for him, and now they had, okay, you know, the same, had something to give me. Same day, same day, within twenty minutes. Ay ay ay. All after, and I think I don't know. I always, uh, I think my last official test in college outside of finals somehow have some some relevancy that is like serene or something like that, but I don't know. Um, so wait, you got these two calls for two jobs. I spent five months, like not sleeping and yeah. losing sleep over not having an opportunity after college, and it all kind of came together, all in one day, two weeks before graduation, right okay. before finals. Yeah, you, you, know, you got two time. offers from two different companies. Yeah, in twenty minutes, basically. Okay. And do you think that do you th- do you attribute that to kind of what you were doing? Um, during your summers in college, actually getting involved, permitting and all that stuff while your friends are going to Panama City or something like that, you're actually working? I mean, wh- Well, I think some of it is. I mean, I I was just lucky. I mean, I I don't think I don't think any twenty one year old who's practically broke in college all the time would say no to a job that pays twenty five dollars yeah, yeah, an hour yeah. to work part time. Right. You know, and so I said yes to that one because I I liked doing it. I liked interacting and I also wanted to continue to have the opportunity you know, after college. Yeah. And so I said yes for a lot of different reasons. The money, the opportunity, Who all those things. you say yes to? Well, I, when I was going into my senior year, I said a yes to en- endurance, yeah. right? But then the opportunity wasn't there anymore for continued work. And so I ended up, I, I ended college, I, I think I graduated on like the 10th of May, 15th of May, I was in Midland. I did another month in Midland working for endurance, getting everything kind of transitioned over to everyone right. else. And then... um Luckily, they had hired 
uh, a real drilling engineer, someone with actual experience to come in when I was leaving and they had all the interns. So I got them all privied up on permitting and stuff like that. And at least the paperwork and keep, right. Keep the, keep the wheels greased, right. keep the monster fed. We have to keep doing this paperwork so we can keep doing what we're doing. And, uh, but they hired Tinley Via, or, well, she's now Tinley Via. Okay. Um, so Sterling Via's wife. Uh, I don't remember what Tinley's maiden name is, but she was over at Apache for a lot of years. Okay. And they took her. And then so we, she started a few days after me. And I, I literally left Midland on a Friday, went back home, packed a different bag, and then went to the rig and started on Wednesday over to EOG. Okay. So you yeah. took the EOG job. Yeah. Okay. That was the long-winded story, so I apologize for anyone listening. But, um, but yeah, so well, I, was I did, was it everything you expected? I mean, you're you're central engineering. You've been around from your dad. I mean, you're, you you've been out in the field doing these permits and all that stuff. Like, it, was this job at EOG everything you expected or wanted? I, I think in a lot of ways, yes. But something to remember is from like 2001, 2002, all the way until 14, it was the industry was blown and going. Uh, there was no end in sight. I mean, it was yeah. it was a different kind of world we live in today, right? So when I came up through a lot of that, it wasn't the kind of thing that we deal with today. Mm-hmm. So my perception was probably sque- skewed, right? Right, because all the, the the peers and the mentors and the guys who would come back to Marietta, they would tell these stories, and it was it just it was uh, it seemed like it seemed like automatic, it seemed easy, right? There was so much going on. You that know you what? Just kept Honestly, doing it. it's it's it seems like um, back in the day, it's like if <clears throat> If you're in the right place at the right time, like you bust your ass you, and you do your work, if you're in the right place at the right time, it's going to hit. It's going to pay off regardless. You know what I mean? Like there was always that like – and that always kept people going. Well, the, like, odds, the odds were there. Oh, the right? odds were there. Yeah. I mean absolutely to sell out to this person, to, to make a great deal with this with this company. I mean the, the, the odds were there. You're right. Yeah. To actually like crush it in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. Yeah, so I ended up out in the field, and I was really lucky with how I ended up because regardless of all the other BS that was going on in the world or the industry, I had a really good set set of, you know, when you get trained in the field, it's pretty important who's interacting with you. As a green guy, regardless of my year of permitting and paperwork, right? right. right? Green guy operationally, basically, right? Okay. Planning and stuff like that, I had a little experience, but not to the level that we were doing out there at EOG. And I got hooked up, and you know, I mentioned Heath work, and I mentioned Steve Monsell earlier, but another guy that I have to give kudos to in terms of like teaching me a lot of things is Jason Fitzgerald, because it was his guys out there in the field that helped kind of cut my teeth, bring me up, all that kind of stuff, and okay. break me out, and really teach me about what it's all about and what's important. And a lot of good personalities, a lot of interesting personalities. I don't think anyone would deny that. That there's a there was a um, at that time in 15, 16, at EOG in the field plus a couple more years out in the field. I mean it was the the group of guys that I worked with were were some of the you meet uh, some of the best people in the field. Yeah, the the most interesting oh um, neurotic cutthroat it, like they they treated me like the engineer out yeah. there and and not the good way. Oh I know which was the expectation right. Oh, when I was at Noble doing the offshore uh, drilling uh, the operations management drilling program, I completely understand that. I yeah. mean I was always messed with being the corporate guy, but I was like guys, I'm one of you guys. Like yeah. you try to fit in, you try to do this stuff, but it's 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 some of the best people you meet out in the field. Oh yeah, they're they're one. I mean. Wonderful is kind of a weird word to use, but they're wonderful I'll use people wonderful. because that's okay word because it's a diverse group. And and I was actually I was on one of the Noram rigs at the time too when I first came out. I was on Noram thirty, and uh, and I had uh, I had Chuck Whalen and Joe Rudd 
and then I can't remember the tool pusher's name on Noram 30, but I mean, but we all like, I mean, I was out there for 14 straight months. Right. Right. And it was the same crew, same tool pushers, same drillers, same company men until EOG. Then boom, it was like, okay, we're going to pick up rigs. And they started splitting crews and okay. stuff like that. And okay. The, the, I mean, we, we all just became family. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was interesting. I got that, I got that experience early on in terms of like you come to work and you know who's going to be there and you're looking forward to seeing And you know the banter, people. you know the jokes, who to mess with about what. Like you, it's a family setting. Yeah. It's, a, it's a feeling. Yeah. And, as, and as the engineer, engineer. He I, just uh, did quotation marks for yeah. those that are listening. Well, there's a camera. I guess everyone's just listening sometimes. But. Well, I mean, some people watch, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he just did quotations. I threw some quotations up, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I did a lot of the, you got to figure out which company men want me to do which part of their reporting for them and right. all that kind of thing. And, you know, Jason Fitzgerald, you know that that goes on. We, we do the reporting for you guys when we're out there, but it's... Uh, <laughs> It, it, it's a, it's one of those things you have to earn your stripes in so many different ways, you know? Right. And some of the things are menial and some of the things are monotonous. And, but that's the way that the oil field is, is there's a lot of critical expensive moments. And then there's other monotonous moments as well. Right. And you can't like, you can't be crappy at any of them. You just have to keep just doing things. Right? So you're there, you're on the rig 14 months at EOG. Yeah. Right. West Texas. Then yeah. what? Well, then, then EOG started picking up some rigs, and I started moving around. But I okay. did that 14, 13 months, or 13 hitches, or however you want to quantify it, on that one rig. And I really enjoyed it. And I met with a few other guys, um, and uh, I had, had some really good experiences out there. And uh, then EOG goes and consummates this deal with Intrepid. And that's when I met Clint Leeser, who is my boss, and he okay. owns Intrepid. And I met him. Through Heath, Heath was walking him out of the office after a meeting, and I was coming in to come talk about some stuff. But I remember Jason telling me, "Hey, I need you to come into the office this morning." And I was like, "Man, crap!" Like, yeah, I guess they're just going to send me home. Like, I, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, it's one of those things. Like, it was, it was such a crappy time that any time no one would tell you what's going on, and you had a very suspicious meeting, you always assume the worst. It's right? one of those things. Like, if you're out having fun and all that stuff, and you get a message like from like. You know, the, the girl to, or your wife, like, we need to talk. It's like, oh, shit, what now? It, it might not be bad, but it comes with it. Yeah, like, we need to have a meeting, James. But I didn't have the kind of stroke or the relationship with Jason to tell him, I need you to tell me what we're going to talk about. Okay. You know, so I went in there blind. I packed everything at the rig. Okay. I was I was just like, I'm not driving back out here. So you're ready to get, you're ready to get let go. Yeah, because I, I just didn't know. You know, it was, right. it was kind of one of those things. Um you just don't know what's planned next. So what happened in this meeting? So I went in, and then Jason says, "Hey, we need a you know we need somebody to, to help us out with this directional stuff, okay. you know." And they picked me one because they knew that they could bring me in, and I already wasn't doing anything that was necessary because I was extra. But right? did so you have training. any? But did you have any idea about directional? Oh, the only time I saw the internals of any components of the or the the motor was when I wasn't supposed to. Like if we broke something. Yeah. So. I mean, I'd never been in a motor shop. I didn't. Quite, I mean, I didn't even surface level understand how I'm doing. So this really is worked. all new to you. Yeah. Okay. So fresh set of eyes. We need some help. Just oversight, and it was really like, let's just try to steer this thing, and let's yeah. just just learn it and give us See feedback. See what you can improve on. Yeah. And so he says, but the the catch is, is that you know this is a Wednesday, let's say a week into my hitch, and uh, he says, but we need you living here in Midland permanently starting Monday. Oh. Like the backstory to that is two weeks or like a week and a I guess three weeks before that moment I had driven home and I had broken up with my girlfriend in Dallas. Okay. And we lived together and 
Heath and Jason knew that I had a serious relationship and I lived with my girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend. Now ex-girlfriend. But Chad Gregory, another engineer, knew that I was going back to break up with my girlfriend because I just, for whatever reason, had a weak moment in the field. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm doing it. I'm just going to go home. I'm done with this shit. And uh, so he went and told us, like, hey, by the way, like, Metcalf's going to be available again, you know? Yeah. We can pretty much tell him whatever we need to tell him. He's going to have no plans going on. Yeah, he'll be here. So, uh so anyways, yeah. So they knew I was in a vulnerable position geographically, if you will. To and emotionally. Emotionally as yes. well. And uh, so he said, well, I need you here on Monday. And I said, okay. And called some buddies, rented some rooms. and Or not rooms, a room. I don't need multiple. But um, so wait, so you went, so you, you you took this to be kind of the intrepid, uh, intrepid liaison. E- yeah, liaison's a good liaison's word for it. a great word. In, for in it. the beginning, yeah, and then it morphed into because it, it started where we had we had drill tech and Crescent out there as well, and uh, you know the problem with the basin was that um, it wasn't that any of these companies were really like just the nature of the Permian. Right. It was just several years ago that things became. High performance, high tech, no excuses and no like zero tolerance for incidents. And back failures. in the day, it was kind of more of a wildcat situation. Where it, was yeah, it, was like, ca- it was a little bit more cowboy, right? You know, yeah. And black uh, gold, if you will. But also, there was a there was kind of like an apprehension to bring a lot of technology to the basin because a lot of companies didn't really require it. Okay, right. And so, even when we want technology, we would get a lot of failures. We're drilling six three quarter hole, breaking motors all the time, all that kind of stuff. So. Our way of addressing that was like let's let's get with a company, let's align with a company, and my Wait, boss. I mean, our way. Are you talking about EOG? Yeah. Okay. When I say EOG, yeah. this, in this context, would be our way. EOG was to just align with a company and let, let's bring out new equipment. Let's bring out the best equipment. Okay. Let's bring out, um, you know, test equipment. Let's, right. Let's try some stuff. Right. Rather than the status quo that's been out there for ten years that everyone just keeps running in this whole size, and. Uh, so I started as a liaison between EOG and Intrepid, kind of in the middle. Um, then I got my rigs, you know, started kind of actually functioning as a formal drilling engineer. Um, thank you. That was, I mean, you know, for an engineer, that's that's, that's definitely, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. When you get your first rig that you're over at an EOG under the the management that we had, and I really do think the management they still have is when they give you your rig, I mean, there is some oversight and there is some, but they... They trust you. Yeah, they. I mean, they, they they put you in the deep end. Right. Like that's their method. Right. And well, I think it works. You, that's how you learn. I think it works if you hold everyone's hands for a decade. Like you don't know who's good or not, and you have you to know, allow people to make mistakes. Yeah. Or to learn from their uh, decisions. Yeah, and there's always oversight to keep people from making too big of a mistake. Right. Right. But anyway, so I kind of just came up that way, and then somehow I wedged myself into being the directional liaison, right? Okay. Because we had to go bring in some. Um, uh, placebo is a bad word because placebo means nothing, basically, right? But um, some analog directional companies, okay. right? Analogous directional companies. So we had been bringing all this equipment in. Let's go find a couple directional companies that have good equipment, that we know have great track records, great names, that we've worked with in other basins. And um, let's see who wants to invest in some of the stuff that we do know works better for okay. here. And then, we'll, and then we'll bring them onto the team. And so that's how we ended up bringing on MS and Pro and got them a couple of rigs each and all that kind of so stuff. So how long were you doing this uh, liaison position between Intrepid and EOG before they had you expand uh, your scope of service providers and bring in MS, uh, Pro? It wasn't long. It was 
four or five months. That's because, it? Yeah, because our, our rig count was going up so fast. Okay. Like when I started with EOG, we had four or five rigs, right? right. And, and then they got up to 24, I believe. Okay. And so like as we went to eight and then 10 and then 12, it was kind of one of those things where we knew that we couldn't, we couldn't expand with our model fast enough, so we needed more partners. Okay. Right? We needed more business partners. And so that was the method that we went through at that point. So, but yeah, so after that iteration where we brought on two more service providers for the same product line or same type of product, right? That's when it seemed like I was just kind of always the directional liaison. Okay. You know, officially and unofficially, at some point, I don't know how it happened, but I. I had to basically qualify anything that anyone wanted to put in the hole. Right. But I think it's because I latched onto it. And I, it's a function of how I got the job I have today. It's because I just latched onto everything they told me to do. I just was fascinated by it. So how I just kept did learning. a petroleum engineer graduate from Marist? Marietta. Marietta. Not Marietta. Mar- not Marist. Whatever. Whatever. My dad, no, 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 my, no, no, my dad no. taught at Marist. Anyway, so <laughs> a petroleum engineer from Ohio. I mean, you're telling me these stories, and you're, you're plunked in the middle of being this uh, uh, directional liaison between EOG and Intrepid, and then you had to bring all this stuff. How did you go as a petroleum engineer at EOG into kind of where you're at today? Yeah, so I had a lot of people ask me a similar question, but in a like a way less respectful way, which they, they assumed that I must have gotten. Can I guess? Can I guess the respectful way? Man, how, why'd you go from an operator to a service side? Was that yeah. kind of like that? Or like you get laid off, you know? Yeah. It like was that kind of Times attitude. were that tough. You had to, had to do your COVID job. Yeah, you had to go to the service side, huh? Yeah. You know, no, but I, I mean, as crazy as I am, um, I had a wild hair on my ass and I went into the dark side. I mean, I, I left EOG and I, I chased an opportunity over at Endeavor. And to me, the, uh, the, to me, the team was not, uh, in a lot of ways, it was a good fit for me. It wasn't a good fit for me, and I knew that long-term it wasn't going to be okay. there in terms of, you know, I need other options okay. is a good good way to say it. So were you trying to get, like, a, another operational, like, drilling role at Endeavor yeah. or something like that? Well, I mean, I, mean, I went to Endeavor as a drilling engineer. Okay. And, um, you know, I think a good way to say it is that I just, I didn't I didn't fit in that organization okay. well. And okay. I, I left I left EOG in haste because I was... I was pretty disappointed in a few things that were going on with the changes that were being made. And okay. Like a lot of my teammates had been, uh, let's say moved, dismantled or removed themselves is a good way to say it. And so like my, my, what I, what I, what I knew as the culture that I liked was kind of it's being kind dismantled. Of faulty and dismantled yeah. not there anymore. Okay. Which is okay. Companies change. And I just, so you went and maybe to, I was young, I was stubborn and I believe in the greener, the grass is greener on the other side. So you and, went to Endeavor. Yeah, I went to Endeavor and um, Bobby Smith at EOG. I talked to him yeah. when uh, when I quit EOG, and I and uh, his advice to me or his feedback to me when I let him know I was leaving was, you know, sometimes it's not greener grass; it's just different grass, which was true because it, it was true. different grass. Yeah, and uh, I, like I said, like over at Endeavor, I mean, I I what I love about my Denver experience was that. I had Midland. I didn't have any Midland Basin experience, right? And at one point in Endeavor, for about six months, I had three rigs drilling. Like, and Endeavor has the second largest oh, yeah. Midland Basin presence yeah. in the in the entire Permian. And so I had three rigs, like all spread out, eighty miles from each other. So I was learning all these lessons and learning where the honey holes were and where the tough spots are, and you know what designs aren't working well where, where the water flood or the uh, San Andreas water so flows are. you enjoy this learning experience. The learning experience yeah. is great. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think it wasn't the right fit for me as a company. And 
you know, I kind of, I guess the, the right way to say it is that I, I, I fulfilled my obligation and, and I moved a different direction. Right. But as I saw that other direction kind of coming to the horizon and me needing to make a decision, I was trying to think of what I wanted to do. And, okay. and Clint and I had always, uh, or Clint Leeser and I had always teased or joked about me coming to work for him at Intrepid. Well, finally, we started having serious conversations about it. And, uh, and I think he thought I was crazy. Because, like, no way in hell would this, you know, drilling engineer that's worked for two, two of the largest endeavor. operators. These are in some Army. solid operators right yeah. there. Yeah. Would ever, in his right mind, and what, willingly go over to the service side. But what role was he asking you to fill in the service side, Intrepid? It was the role I have now. Really? So he threw me in. I mean, to the deep end. I mean, they basically put ankle weights on me and threw me into the deep end of the pool on the senior VP of operations because I think he had seen me kind of uh, navigate obstacles. He had seen me through some 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 difficult decisions, and Clint and I always had a good like a, a right. good relationship. And he trusts me, but he also I think believes in my abilities to get certain things done. I mean, my aptitude to kind of adapt or something like and that. And your and and your job in operations and trip, but it's also kind of bleeds into sales too. I, I yeah, I mean, just like any, I think just like most service companies, you're operate. I mean, everyone needs to sell. Operations also we're sells, all in right? sales, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There's blah, blah, that. Blah, blah, yeah, blah blah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, there's a lot of customer interactions. There's a lot of like even discovery. And forward-facing pre-customer so, meetings. So, how was it going from an operator at as a, uh, a a drilling engineer at Endeavor to suddenly making this career switch or this 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 mental switch to kind of going over as a operation senior vice president of operations at a directional company? So, for the first three months, Clint will tell you that every time I left the office, like whether it was for lunch or yeah. I wanted to let my dog out or yeah, whatever, he didn't know if I was coming back. He was convinced. He was convinced that it was a fill-in time. No, that was no, but he was convinced that I was just going to come back and I was going to say, you know what, fuck all this shit. Really, I'm I'm out. This is this is nonsense. Why? But that well, because the surface side is so much different. Like it really was a shock and awe kind of event for me. Right. Uh, emotionally, professionally, stress-wise, all those kind of things. Was it an ego thing for you? Because I know some people have a uh, like, oh, do I want to go service side? It's like. Man, service side has a lot of fun. I mean, you bust your ass, but you have a lot of fun. I mean, was it an EO thing for you, going from an operator like EOG and Endeavor to a directional company? No, I think the reason I did it at the end of the day is because I, I trust and have a good relationship with Clint. Yeah. And I, I know what he's about. I'm very close with him. And I know... Sort of, and everyone's expectations change, but I know what his expectations are. So it's one of those things. And I have to learn how to accomplish these things, but I also know what he wants. So it's one of those things, too. It's like you're getting a point in your career. It's like, I'm going to choose who I'm going to work with now. You know what I mean? Like, if you understand Clint, I mean, I, yeah, I might be putting words in your mouth, but I, it, it seems like if, if, if Clint, if, if you've established a relationship with Clint and you're all talking, all that stuff, like you understand, like you, you're choosing who you want to work with. Well, I think keep in mind too, it was 2018 in yeah. Midland, right? When I when I was brokering this deal with Clint, and I brokered the deal with Endeavor in 2017 yeah. in Midland, and those were definitely times where if if you could if you could present yourself as attractive, yeah, you could halfway choose. But I never I never put it up to bid. Okay, right? Like I when I when I wanted when I was talking to uh, to Rep Bullock and Scott Rivera at Endeavor, yeah. and figuring out what I wanted to do over there and what we could do together. 
I didn't I didn't go look for other jobs. Like right. I I looked at that one as like this is something I want. Like I I know of what else is out there, and this is what I want. And uh, and I wasn't a good fit there. And so when I wasn't a good fit there, I went another direction, and I went for Clint, and I talked with him back and forth. And we, you, you say you're not a good fit. Is that a gut feeling or is that just kind of like you, you walk in the office and you're just not feeling the culture? I mean, when you say you're not a good fit, why do, why do you say that? Well, I liked, I liked a lot of the team I dealt with. Um, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a random question. I mean, it's, it's a tough it's, question. It's, too. it's a tough it's question. A tough it's question. just like, Man, I don't know. It, it's it's a gut feeling. I felt I, like working with these guys. I think I, just, I think as well. You know, it's been been about three years since I started over there, and I I am young, so there's there's still some layers of maturity that come in with my age because I am young. I'm forty. I still got some maturity levels. I know. Going to my I can't age. wait till you're fifty. You know, <laughs> but uh, I think my next month will be fifty with the oil field right now. Yeah, but I think a good way to say it is that. Um, that's a tough question, but it's okay to have dead air. By the way, I know. I'm just trying to think of a good way to say that. So, so it's like, I, lo- I loved a lot of what I did at Endeavor. I cherished my experiences there yeah. because of like I was given three rigs. They were spread out. I got different wellbore designs, different challenges, different teams, North and South, Midland Basin, all those kind of things that I didn't have in my engineering toolbox before that I knew and I kind of could recognize when I looked at a map in terms of what it's like drilling. But in a lot of ways as well, I just just didn't fit in there um, personality-wise. I mean, I think think if anyone, if you ask anyone at Endeavor today that worked there while I worked there, there was no shortage of ruffled feathers while I was there, right? And so, like, yeah, I can't go around with that kind of for whatever reason. No, that's no, how, no, no, that's no. how I was operating. But, so, but you know what, though, I mean, it's it's very interesting as as a salesperson. I mean, you you get to see like when you walk into a building, whether it's a you know Apache, the old Andarco, whether it's a small you know independent operator, or whether it's Conica, you notice a different feel of cultures. You know what I mean? There's a different feeling of people that are there and, and what they engage with you and talking, all this stuff. It's just a different feel each company you go to. You know what I mean? So I, I understand, like, sometimes it just doesn't feel right in the gut. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, And you know what, Endeavor, we were doing really good work, too. We were drilling fast wells, making a lot of progress, all that kind of stuff. That so you, has there... The egotistical portion of you as a drilling oh, engineer the makes you, you're like, oh, my God, we're so good. You want to be yeah. the best. Has there been any um, eye-opening kind of, like, oh shit moments or anything like that, like from going from an operator like Endeavor or EOG to the service side as a directional company? Like, is there anything like you're like, oh my God, like, I can't believe like this is, this is how they view this or anything like that. Like it's cause it seems like it's, it's a new experience, a new, a, a new uh, lens to look through. Well, there's, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of different things to that, but uh, I think a good one is, when someone wants you to sharpen their pencil or sharpen your pencil, yeah, right. It's you know they're like, well, you're you know revenue is revenue. Well, revenue isn't revenue. You know that's I think that's a misconception. Is in the directional world, the the right. margins are so they're so squeezed. If we damage one piece of equipment, then and and you know the operators are no longer inclined to pay for a lot of the damages right. that happen. That just really the part of I mean the the phase in the industry we're in that if I damage one piece of equipment, sometimes I'm doing the entire job for free. 
if not writing a check to do the job. And a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. And so like that kind of stuff adds up. And did that uh, kind of hit you like doing that? Like when you got your first uh, ticket back, like, wait a minute, screw that. Like they should be paying for this. At times. Yeah. Yeah. It depends the circumstances. But yeah, when you, when you can build a defense, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, But I think on both sides too, you know, there's the, you know, the, the service sector. I mean, we, we obviously, together we support the operators right so you know the operators very rarely own anything other than the rock right and that or maybe some surface land right. right and then everything else they do is contracted right and so there there has to be alliances there has to be partnerships there has to be building and like the, i mean there has to be available money and cash flows and i think one of the biggest things that that i've learned is how to deal with i mean we've we've worked unfortunately with some customers that have gone chapter 11 yeah right and through that restructuring you know, there's, there's unfortunately some oh, yeah. adjustments to what you are paid, and uh, that's one of the more difficult things. Is it's it's one thing if you're paid and you have a difficult customer, it's one thing when you have a good customer. have a good customer that can't pay. Yeah, right. And that that's that's the most damaging thing. So, I don't know. Probably somewhere around there. I mean, on both sides of the spectrum. I think there's a lot of my customers that really enjoy the fact that I've been a drilling engineer and then I've drilled Delaware based, I've drilled Midland based. I think that's great experience. A lot of different Absolutely. And you know, and and there's some that latch on more than others. Um, and I think anyone that will talk to you that has has had those conversations with me will tell you that I'm more than willing to discuss anything that I think. I mean, I'm an opinionated person, so. Um, did you did ask me what I think, and I'll be sure to tell you. Did you like us going to the dark side, the service side? Um, just like Clint said, you know, for the first three months, he didn't know if I was coming back or right, not. Right. Even the office, and I found this out a few months ago, but even the office had a pool on how long I would last. Really? Yeah. But in a, I mean, I don't think anyone. I mean, sure, I'm sure. I'm sure some people hated me, but you know, in a in an honest way, it was Clint was throwing someone into the fire right. and seeing if it could work. Right. And I, and I think I've, I've adapted, I've evolved all those kind of things to, to get myself to where I am. But, um, just like Clint thought I wasn't coming back. There was a lot of people that I worked that worked for me Yeah, that thought I was just going to bail and give out or give up eventually. And, uh, luckily that's not in my nature. So I'm sure I made a ton of mistakes on the way there out of stupidity or ignorance or stubbornness. So you, but, like, the, you like the side of the business? I mean, it's fun. It it's is. exciting. It's never ending. Yeah. There's no like, uh. Got those progs out. Now I can relax all weekend. Unless that one thing goes wrong. Yeah, there's just enough going on at all times that there's always some fire to take care of. Right. And uh, I really do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. So what are you anxious about kind of in our industry right now? I mean, with everything going on, obviously, we're actually recording this. Was it November 5th right now? Like, you, you... you check. You check on that Timex. It's the fifth. It's the fifth. This is an Omega. So, it's a Timex. So, actually, we're recording this on November fifth. Actually, we're kind of currently in these uh, uh, the election. I don't want to get political on stuff, but like, I mean, so how are you? How are you uh, what are you anxious about right now in the oil field? Like, what do you miss? Like, what do you? Uh, do you see the oil field going back to the way it was before, or like, where, where do you kind of see it going, evolving? I think a perfect way to sum up my response would be what I miss the most. Is like when you would go to Denver, yeah. And apart from a couple of customers, like we do, we do a lot of work for a customer out in Golden, Colorado. So that that's usually a whole afternoon to go meet okay. with them and you know may have substantive time with them. Right. 
But beyond that, when I was in Denver, I could spend a day and a half outside of the half a day I spent in Golden. And I could go see every operator on 16th Street Mall because yeah. everyone was in their offices. Everyone, everyone could, wants to grab coffee. Every, grab a coffee downstairs or, yeah, I'll give you 20 minutes. Or, yeah. man, I, I just, please. That's not Houston or Midland, is it? No. And so, like, Denver was a special place. And I loved going to Denver. I felt like we were really making some progress in Denver before some of these changes and COVID. You know, we had we had a half dozen clients that were generating revenue off of in Denver. And one of them was in Golden. The other five were off of 16th Street. And so, or roughly off of 16th Street. Right. But, so I could go up there and I could, I could make hay. I could, I could go up there and I could. You feel like you're making progress. I could talk to my current customers, prospective customers, future customers, prior customers. Right. I could talk to everyone yeah. in 36 hours. You can't do that anymore. Right. No. And so that's one of the things it's like the, the camaraderie or the, I mean, I was never big on just like random happy hours at some random bar, but getting people together. You know, and and getting to know people on the personal side of our business because what we do is 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 very cutthroat. It's very demanding. The expectations are ima- like incredibly high. Yeah. And on top of that, there if all those things exist, you have to have a certain level of trust. And without that trust or that, then you, then you're just a bid. Then you're just another bid. You're a bid, and you're trying some, and you're trying some, to justify with the numbers with some very sterile bylaws. So that's right? a thing. I mean, I, I mean, we we've we've had a bunch of people on here, and I think this is something that a lot of people discuss. We miss the get-togethers. You know what I mean? Fin for feather been canceled. Uh, this has been canceled. This has been canceled. I mean, we have such a great group of people in the oil and gas industry, and one of the best things is is, is getting together around each other. You know what I mean? And just you know shooting the shit, whether it's about family, whether it's about work, whether it's about this acreage or this company consolidating, or it's about, you know, like, oh my gosh, this person, you know, uh, you know, has cancer. We need to, you know, bring something to the house. Like it's, it's such a good family and, and you don't have that these days. And that's what sucks in my opinion. Yeah. You know, and, and I can think on that note, you know, it's, it, it goes, I think it boils down to so many other things where, like, for instance, over at Big Brothers Big Sisters with the golf tournament, we usually do a Swing for Kids Sake golf tournament in Houston and Kingwood every year. Well, we're going to get into that. I know. But, like, that's another thing. That's 400 people that last year got together. Didn't y'all play that? So, so, pretty, so pretty much just back up. So I know your dad was very involved in Big Brothers yes. Big Sisters, Swing for the Kids, right? Yeah, and he was, yeah, yeah. Swing for kids' sake. Swing for kids' sake. And now you've kind of taken a you, – you're involved in that, which is – can you talk about that a little bit real quick? Yeah, so give a little I mean, plug. Yeah, I'll I'll give it a plug. Um, yeah, so as of right now, uh, you know, myself and Daryl Blackburn and George Hans are all three co-chairs of the event. Um, my dad and George started the event, and the event takes place in Kingwood. Right now, it does. Right, right, yeah, and and it's it's shifted from Kingwood to Cypress and stuff like that over the years, but okay. it is a Kingwood event. Okay, so next year we hope to do it in Kingwood event okay. again. But last year we had you know three out of the four courses at Kingwood. We had roughly almost 400, uh, 400 golfers and, a, you know, 100 what, what does the money go to, towards? Well, the, the money goes towards Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is a nonprofit organization that is pairing, um, you know, typically uh, young men and young women that do not have father or mother figures right. in their lives or they're, you know, they might have them in their lives, but they're generally absent for whatever reason for their circumstances. And you, you give them the mentorship and you give them the abilities and the skills and you give them some resources. Right to succeed in life and to have another person to, to whether you emulate your decisions or you bounce an idea off of yeah. or you ask for advice or you can, 
I don't you confide in well, I mean, just one more person, right? I mean, not, I mean, not being rude or anything like that, or kind of being an asshole, but like, how, like, why did you step up to the? So you're on the board now, is that correct? Well, I'm on. So I'm a co-chair of the golf tournament. You're a co-chair of the golf. Yeah. So why did you get so involved in this? I, you know, it's kind of like back to my degree. Um, my dad did it for a lot of years. He asked me to join. He wanted the help when he was still active right. in in working in oil and gas. He wanted the help because he was starting to remove himself you know, from working, he was retiring. Right. And he, he needed the help on the young side. That's, you know, uh, Daryl came in and I came in and, and we bring in some fresh some blood. Young blood and I've got a really, I've got a, I even have my competition. Like I'm, I'm pretty close to a lot of the directional guys yeah. in the country. And I have guys asking me if we're going to do the big brothers, big sisters golf tournament this year. It's one of the best tournaments out there. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it, it, it makes me happy to see that there is excitement around it. Oh, yeah. And even guys that I compete with for work where we may F you or F you about this or that yeah. when it comes to work, that we can all come out for a common goal. It's definitely one of those tournaments that people talk about, that, that people miss. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like it's it's such a huge industry event. That's It's such a great cause too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's definitely something we miss. And I, I certainly hope that you keep on pushing it and keep on growing it. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll finish the plug up as, you know, this year we were, unfortunately we had to cancel it, but next year we're going to come out stronger. Hopefully we can do it yep. at Kingwood. We can, I hope to be able to occupy all, I guess, four courses that they have available at yep. Kingwood and that'll raise our participation. Are you, and, and you're not, a, are you a golfer? I hate golfing. You hate it. Well, I suck at it. I'm not good at it. Are you good at – all right. I've got a $400 like, set of Nike slingshots that I bought in Arkansas because they were the only left-handed set they had. There. By the way, I love Arkansas. I love that state, by the way. Well, they have they, – they, if you like golfing, they do have some cheap public courses. No, it's, 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 a, it's a great state. I went up there. Uh, my wife and I went to Jake Voss and Teresa Voss's uh, cabin up there. We enjoyed it. So are you golfer, fisherman? I do like fishing. Where, we, do, you, where, where do you entertain your customers? What's your move? I don't know. You guys ever been to the bar? Is that in, uh, <laughs> in Midland? No, I mean we. Uh, <laughs> Midland's a different style, though. You know, we do a lot of we do a lot of stuff at the house, or we do a lot of uh, restaurant bars, if yeah, you will, yeah. not oh, yeah. real bars. Look, man, I'm 40. I'm all about restaurant bars. You know what I mean? People are like, oh, let's go to this bar. It's like, no, I'd rather go to a restaurant bar, get some apps, get like three martinis, go home, in bed by eight o'clock, yeah. call it a night. Sounds wonderful. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah, but like in Midland, it's a I don't know it's it's tough because Midland you have the bar you've got Lone Star the country's country club of country clubs right. and you've got a a couple other places you got Blue Door you got Buffalo Nickel I remember Blue Door they're all pretty spread out I remember Blue Door yeah they're not it's not like one strip that you go down and you go drink right so you kind of decide where you're going. And you go there, and then you finish off your night, and you go home. That's where you see your customers. Yeah. Was it the shack in the back? Well, there's the shack in the back on the weekends, yeah. Wednesday night, oh, for yeah. about, I don't know, 10 weeks straight, 13 weeks straight. Um, I did not go this year. Well, good for you. I've heard about that. And we actually have a, a, a write-in question from a, a longtime uh, listener, Ryan Brogley. Oh, God. What? Ryan Brogley wrote in a question. Huh? Uh, he really didn't write it. He uh, kind of messaged me on LinkedIn and kind of wanted me to ask you this kind of on the spot. So your nickname, so you're you uh, uh young petroleum engineer, EOG, Endeavor. Now you're senior SVP, you know, like senior vice plumber. So talk to me. Um, where did you – so you have a nickname, don't you? I do. I think you know what that is. 
I know. I'm kind of uh, I'm, I'm I'm baiting you right now. So your nickname is Hollywood. It is. So he wants me to ask you, where did you get this name Hollywood? Do you mind if I address Ryan? Well, first off, no. Time out. Have you had have have you had any other nicknames besides Hollywood? Um, yeah. I mean, but the, the only one, the only other one. Well, I guess I have two. But the first one, my mom. I, I grew up as Jamie. My, okay. I was a Jamie boy. So I was born James too. And when people call me Jamie, like I didn't do this, but I heard it. I used to like get so upset, I used to cry. I'm like, I don't want to be called Jamie. No, like, when I was when I was like when I was ten, when I was ten, after being ten a decade of my life yes. as Jamie, when I was ten, I had this girl, and I wonder if she's gonna listen to this. Logan, hello, but Logan Ash made fun of me. Hello, Logan. Hello, Logan. But Logan Ash made fun of me. For being Jamie. Well, who's laughing now, Logan? Exactly. Yeah, you are Logan. Right, but she's married and happy, so she's probably laughing at me anyways. But. Well, she's married, but she's listening to this, and yeah. she's second-guessing. <laughs> but uh, kidding, Logan. But I remember going home to my mom and, like, crying, telling her, like, yeah. I don't want to be Jamie anymore. I'm James. Like, I put my foot down. It's like two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I had Jamie when I was a kid. I hated that. Yeah. Oh, then, dude, I hated JP. Like, people call me JP growing up. Balled out. Then I had What's this, the P? Are you like James? I'm James Patrick Charles Johnston Warren. Okay. Good Lord. Yeah, I know. Thank you. So Scantrons were a bitch. All right. Like, Tess, <laughs> Scantrons sucked. But I remember, like, I remember, like, people call me Jamie or, like, then they call me JP, like, like in second, third grade. Like, he, I was so mad. I'm, like, furious about this. Then I had a fourth grade teacher, Miss Farragher. She always pronounced the grr at the end. She called me JP. She's like, you have a problem with that? I was like, no, I'm, I'm cool with that. Dude, go ahead. Call me JP all you want. Like, held the tears back and ever since then, fourth grade, JP. It's been JP ever since. You it's know, fair. us Jameses, we kind of secretly rule the world. Do we? Yeah. What do you mean? I don't know. You tell me. So you're Welsh, right? Yeah. I'm Irish. Oh. Right? I'm so, also Irish and Scottish. So James, right there, big yeah. time. So you're a whiskey or a bourbon, what? A little scotch, a little scotch, scotch okay. whiskey. All right, okay. Yeah. So give me the, give me the. Uh, if you want to address Ryan, go ahead because he's probably listening. And he I feel might like not. Ryan has waited his whole life. Oh, he's for dying. This story. He's dying for this moment. He's he's probably like on an airplane right now, flying it, being like, yes, yes. So what? Indeed. So where did Hollywood come from? Yeah. So when uh, kind of going back to the EOG story, when I got injected into the intrepid saga of the relationship. I went into Intrepid's office and uh, because I, you know, I've got no, I don't know, sense of barriers or respect for people, I guess. I just kind of like went upstairs at Intrepid, although there was. Well, that's not respect. That's barriers, not respect. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but I just kind of went upstairs. Right. Right. And, and at that day I happened to be wearing like a button down shirt with a few more buttons undone. The single look. Guys. Yeah. Uh, some jeans that, you know. Euro cut. Yeah. Euro cut. A little slim you fitter. Count, you could count the change in my pocket maybe. I get it. And uh, and some loafers without any socks. And, uh, this is a sharp look. Yeah. I mean, I looked good. I get it. No. I like, get it. Women were dropping. The, they were literally mid- throwing their numbers at you. Yeah, yeah. They were swiping. I had to they bring. Were swiping, a, I had. They were swiping right. I had to bring a stick with me around town. I get that. Just to kind of make sure they could get off of me or something. I get that. Like that. So, but anyway, anyways, looking good. Yeah. So, I go upstairs and I walk into Clint's office and he calls me Hollywood, 
because of the way I'm dressed, almost as a negative thing. Kind because to diss you a little bit. I, he wanted to diss me. He wanted to dig my skin a little bit. Right. Um, and that was because he didn't like the idea of having someone over there all the time that had free will over everything. Because you know this was this was especially his company, young, especially young cat. Five years ago, this was uh, intrepid. They were 15 years into it. Clint's owned the company the whole time and had control over the company the whole time. And it, it wasn't something that he had ever done before. Right. So he was uncomfortable with it. And so. He gave me this nickname negatively, and over the course of a few weeks of continuing to call it me or call me that, you know, slowly, I guess I I won him over and he won me over, and we established a really good business relationship right. together, and then we established a good personal relationship together, and Hollywood went from kind of a, a negative term to a I don't know a term of endearment. Like this is this is a uh, a term. That dates back to the beginning of our relationship, kind of, kind of way. Well, Ryan, if you're listening, I kind of expected a better story. Um, that was uh, that's a great story. I just yeah. was expecting more juice behind it. You know what I mean? Like more pulp. But uh, let's let's. I expected Ryan just pick up the phone, give me a call. I'll give you the rest of the story. Yeah, we I'll, kind of. Give you know, me, I'll give you some. We'll more keep that juice. off the podcast. So wait. Yeah. You, I know. I noticed recently on LinkedIn that you actually went down to uh, South America. Yeah. You went down to Cuba. No. Not C- Colombia? I went to Ecuador. Ecuador? And Colombia. Colombia. Yeah. Right, yeah. So you but went not, to... not Cuba. Well, I was saying Cu- Colombia. Oh, you were yeah, split I was, it up? I was, I was throwing it in there. Just taking a little while. <laughs> Whose podcast is this? Mine it's your yours. podcast. Exactly. So yeah. you listen to me now. You understand me? So <laughs> I am the captain now. I am the captain now. Look at me. I'm yeah. the captain. So you went down there. So... You, First off, I saw that and I was kind of blown. I was kind of taken back because right now in a, in a world where everything's kind of locked in, oil field sucks. Uh, there's not a lot of business going on domestically, uh, and yet you're going down there and actually kind of doing a business development. Am I wrong? A business development kind of a trip down there to kind of generate business and all stuff. So tell me about how business was kind of going down there. I mean, how much it's kind of di- what, what what are you seeing down uh, in in different markets? Yeah, so Ali Rodriguez and I, we went down from uh, from Houston down to Ecuador. We went to Quito and then into Bogota and Colombia. Yeah. Um, and that there was some existing work and some existing relationships and opportunities that existed from the Gyrodata deal that we consummated on May 1st. Was this the first time we went down there? It was the first time. This is my first international business trip ever. Oh, so really? So it like, opened my eyes up a lot. So it was um, you and who else? It's me and Ali Rodriguez. And, and so, what does Ali do? So Ali is a senior VP of operations. Okay. In a, like, so Ali, is his function right now, like his, his specialty and his focus is definitely on um, some of the, the customer relations in domestic U.S. Right. In terms of like the Northeast or some of our Powder River customers okay. helping us continue to transition from our, like our previous customers at Gyrodata to make sure they continue to be intrepid customers okay, okay and then also latin america so right. so you, you you go down there and this is your first international business trip yeah and ali is actually he's like a really i mean if you look at his resume it's it's like a yard long right i mean he was he's a colombian guy that went and got a petroleum engineering degree in eastern europe and then came back to colombia he was a company man he was an engineer really? then he went to canada and then he went to the northeast then he went to houston oh, but this cat's got so many stories oh yeah i mean he's been in oil and gas for 30 35 right. years and he's been all around the world doing it and so he's really well versed and and he's the right guy for the position as well. Uh, so what was it like traveling down there? 
Um, well, unfortunately, because of COVID, all you have to take is the red eye flights. Okay. So everything sucks. Like when you travel, it's just it's just terrible. Yeah. It's exhausting. But we landed in uh, we landed in Quito, Ecuador at like one a.m. Got through customs, got to the hotel at four, woke up at six thirty, started our meetings, all that kind of stuff, and then just burned it down until Thursday, and then caught flights to uh, Bogota, Colombia, and then did a couple days in Colombia. So how was doing business over there? It's definitely a different pace. It's a different style. Um, now, did you know are, that? Did you know that before going in there, or you just kind of exposed that once you landed? I guess I had been like warned, like this is this is how things go. You what, do you, what do you mean pace? Well, I guess when you get into any country, I mean, we have a way of doing things, right? I mean, if you want to work with me, I have to sell you, and to sell you, maybe a very, very, very difficult po- like process. But then I just need to go through the MSA it's process. Very business. It's very business, right. but it's also very business in Latin America, from what I can tell. But it seems to be where the me selling you might be a smaller portion, and me selling the company is a bigger portion. Rather than me, oh. I sold you. Okay, here's my Herbie Can- Hancock on the MSA, yeah, yeah, yeah. and go go ahead and carry on with my rat killing. Yeah. Now it's these pre qualifications. It's this paperwork. It's this. It's, it's more of a it's, process. It's a lot of hurdles. It's yeah. a it's a it's an international process for um almost you know, I've never done any of the offshore work or anything like that, but it's it's a higher level of qualification yeah. that they want to desire to see from you, right? And so you have to you have to satisfy all those things. And so but those things later on with each other and then also, you know, when you go down there and um I'll tell you the biggest thing that I had to get used to was I. I mean, I. I the toilet bit, flush I, in the different way. No, no, no. I was well. I guess no, no. no, no. I was on the north side of the joke. equator. It was a joke. They don't. They don't, they don't flush different. They anyway. Turn around. Anyway, is that a rumor? I think it's a. Is that fake news? It's. I think it's fake. Run the rotary. We're just literally sitting here talking, so don't fact check me. So anyway, so what was the biggest thing you had to deal with? Um. Or your biggest surprise. Yeah, I think I think that goes with the um, the customers down there in Ecuador and Colombia. They they really did seem to have a a larger focus on the interpersonal side of the relationship, okay. right? And so when you did lunch, it was about it wasn't about business. It was about getting to know each other and getting comfortable with the people you're going to be working with, and right. That. And so it was a different different kind of thing than than what I was used to in terms right. of like. Um, and don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't like going to lunch with my customers here in the U.S. It's just a whole different style on how they approach it. Like I, I was almost begging to talk about Word. our equipment, our motors, what we do. Because you processes. feel like, hey, look, we're down here for like two days. Oh like, my, I, I need to talk work. This is precious time. I only have so much time. To- I, li- I literally hate talking work. If I go, if I go out to lunch with a customer or anything like that, I rarely ever talk work. You know what I mean? But, like, I can understand, like, being on a trip and you're feeling kind of that pressure behind you. It's like, man, we're only here for 48 hours. I need to talk work with these cats. Yeah. But it's a very slow, interpersonal relationship building uh, mentality. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. That, was, that was different for me. And then, um, you know, on top of that, they just, they just eat their meals at a completely different time than us Americans do. So when do they eat their meals? I mean, shit, they're eating lunch at 2. Oh. <sighs> That's dinner time for me, basically. Is it heavy meals? Oh, heavy lunch. Did you really? Which did you enjoy, Colombia or uh, Ecuador more? Um, I like the accent you put on there. Thank That's you. Really nice. Or gracias. <laughs> I I don't know. I, I I spent more time in Ecuador, so I think I enjoyed Ecuador more than okay. Colombia. Do you have any other trips coming up? 
Um, not any plan, but I think we need to go to Ecuador and Colombia here in the next 60 days again. And Let's then do it. Me and you? I'm in. Okay. Let's go. Let's do it. And then we're working on some other stuff over in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait as well, which is more international opportunity. It's very interesting. So, like, when you look at the U.S. onshore and we're at 260 rigs today or whatever we're yeah. at for the directional market, for my market, and the fact that we might get up to 430 in the next 12 months, there's 180 rigs in Saudi Arabia and there's 120 rigs in Kuwait, and a lot of them are starting to move towards unconventional right. projects. And so it's starting to get into there as well. And then in Colombia, what's very interesting is they seem to be approaching some level of a gas crisis. And in order to solve their gas crisis, they're going to need to develop this unconventional shale gas reservoir on the north side of their country, okay. which is all horizontal work, right? Right. Just like just like when we did. I mean, we we outdrilled ourselves. Yeah. When it came to gas in the U.S., yeah. I mean, it's you can do that. And so that's there's some longer term goals down there in Latin America to get ourselves established and become relevant, and then you know be available to grow as the needs grow as well. Well, that sounds pretty exciting right now. So if there was a place to go, so are you a traveler? Sometimes. So, I mean, where do, where, do you travel abroad a lot? I mean, so I went to Croatia last year. Cro- do your Croatia yacht party? I did the yacht week. So I, I knew, I, I fucking, I knew it. Yeah, I did the yacht week. How was that? It was pretty wild. Me and Matt I love how you're like, oh, you and Matt Olivier went? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, oh. dude. I heard that place is legit. Yeah, so shout out, shout out to Matt O. So if there, if there was a place that you'd want to go, you know, like not, not business-wise, where? Where would it be? I'd want to go back to that, like, Mediterranean, Eastern Europe kind of area. Okay. Not, not Italy. I would probably visit Italy if I was close. But, like, I, I, I did thoroughly enjoy that. What did you enjoy about it? I don't know. It was a it was a pace of life that was, lifestyle. Well, first of all, I don't know what industry is there besides nothing. Olives, 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 and olives, wine. There's a lot of wine. In a lot of wine. Yeah, but there was and techno. Yeah, a lot of house music. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. You know, it's it, it seemed to be a really enjoyable place. Every time we ported. Like in a town, and we did something. It was really nice. The food, the food, the, the food, people, the, the people personalities. They're all beautiful, right? That's awesome. And um, I don't know. I like Europe. Yeah, I, I'd want to go to Europe before I went back to Asia. I think. Okay. And right. um, but then South America. I mean, South America was great. I I mean, I hear great stories about Cartagena and Medellin, and um. I can't remember the one town in Ecuador. We flew through it on the way back, but we were staying in Quito for work. But then we flew through another town that was a more yeah. of a coastal port town uh, in Ecuador. You have any good stories from your trips or not? Um, I did eat in Ecuador. A uh, it's called Cuyi, Cuyi, something like that. I don't know. What is it? You're not going to be able to tell me if I mispronounce it. I can tell you that. I'll pretend I could. Yeah. See what we end. Kui-vi. Kui-vi. Right, what is it? And so it's uh, it's actually um, so it's like a hamster, but it's a big hamster. It's literally it looks exactly like a hamster Yum. or a guinea pig. Delicious, right? Well, first off, those are two big different things. Well, a hamster's that big, yeah, and a guinea pig's like that. I'd big. rather feast on a guinea pig any day over a hamster, yeah, but or these, a gerbil. These kuyis are like that big. Oh, that's good eating, right? There. So it's like so, a, it's, so it's so it's like three times the size of a, a, a guinea pig. Maybe not three times, but they deep fry it. Ooh, deep fried guinea pig. Yeah. Um. Yes, they deep fry it, um. and uh, it's 
I mean, it was actually, it tasted like uh, I had the legs off of it. Yeah. And it tasted like, uh, kind of tasted like duck. It was really fatty. Really? Yeah. Um, let me see. You don't have to show me a picture right now. I mean, no one else. Well, I know. I'm going to show you a picture to see what kind of reaction I can get. Do you see how the head is still intact? Oh, my God. So pretty much what I'm looking at right now is, first off, is James smiling randomly in this picture. And there's this deep fried, it looks like Splinter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. (laughs) It's looking at you like screaming. It's dead and screaming. And you ate that. Mm-hmm. Good. Any sauce? No, no sauce. No okay. sauce. Okay. All right. All right. So what else has been going on these days? I mean, we're coming up. Uh, we're coming up an hour fifteen. So what else is going oh, on wow. these days? What you watch anything good on uh, Netflix? Read any good books? I mean, what else are you interested in? Um. Okay, I, I do have to give a good shout out. I've, I've got a good book that I'm not only listening to, but I'm reading personally so are you, with my you, own eyes. Do you listen to books? I do not listen to books. I just started probably about two weeks ago, and I'm trying to get into it. Are you flexing on me right now? No, I'm not. I'm just telling you, like, I, I, I space out. I space out, then I come back in. I'm like, oh, shit, let me rewind. Well, I, have to, I often have to reread pages because I do that when I'm reading as well. Okay, so what are you reading? Uh, so the the one book I'm reading is I, I'm doing a lot more flying for work. It's called On Leadership, and it's a it's a good. I don't know. It sounds like a cheesy book. It sounds like a self help book, but it's not. It really is a objective look at how to deal with people, how to categorize people. I think in all of our organizations with everyone we deal with. So this is like professional stereotyping book. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. What's it called? It's called On Leadership. Uh, on leadership. On leadership. Okay. No, so, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I'm joking about a stereotype, by the way. Yeah, I know, but that was that was a good joke. I didn't know how to respond to that one. Um, so, but 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 the way the book... The premise of the book is it, it's very much... Um, it's it's separating the groups of people in an organization okay. and, and the dysfunctions in every organization because it doesn't matter if, if you're at CPC or I'm at Intrepid or our customers are at EOG or they're at Endeavor right. or they're at... Tap rock wherever, right? right. There, there, there's massive efficiencies and massive dif- dysfunctions everywhere, right? Because every organization comes with pros and cons, and, right. and how you structure authorities and stuff like that. And so, it's a good book. Um, it makes you think about how you interact with people. I think like it almost makes me feel like I'm a psychologist. Really? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But it gives you but some it, skills, it's good, it's good, evaluation okay. skills like that, right? So. So do you enjoy reading those leadership type of books or do you enjoy stuff reading? Not like- totally. Like there's a joke with my dad that like that my dad loves leadership books and he just keeps giving them to me. But this one I happen to really like. So what What do you – do you read books uh, that aren't just business? Can you, turn, can you turn your phone off? I'm sorry. It's okay. Sorry, it's just work. I have a lot of work calls going on also, but I'm here talking to you right now. And I'm focused on you. I'm focused on you. So do you do you enjoy reading books usually? Not totally. Honestly, uh, I'm not a reader. I'm not okay. Um, I'm not a reader too. I'm listening. But I want to get more into it because I spend a lot of time on flights. I spend like I mean, Midland to Dallas, to Houston, like to Denver. R- to I kind of feel like at our age, if you're on a flight, you got to be doing something like productive to your professional career. If not, you're kind of wasting time. And I hate saying that, but I kind of feel like you know, you sit on a flight, you look at this guy, he's reading like you know, like oh yeah, management skills two hundred one. You're like shit. I'm reading this bullshit. Teenage Mutant Harry, Harry Potter too. Harry Potter fifteen book right now. Like I need to get into that. But you know what? I don't. I don't knock the people reading the Harry Potter books because like if, read what you enjoy. 
I think Do what you enjoy. I think there's some level of like self-motivated mental stimulation that comes with it as well. Not only reading, but reading about something that I probably need. I think so too. But uh, I don't know. I'm not a big self-help book kind of guy, but I will. I think they're cheesy, and I call them out on it all day long. But you've I think do- that's a good one. You've been doing a lot of uh, during the uh, whole uh, quarantine, all that bullshit. You've been doing what uh, any uh, TV shows or movies or anything like that? You'd recommend? Um, no, I haven't started any new ones. To tell right. you the truth, uh, I would recommend anyone. The if you haven't watched Mad Men, go watch Mad Men. You watch Don Draper and Roger Sterling take over the world, and then you know Don Draper kind of slips into oblivion, meditating one day, and that's kind of it. So. Wait, but is that how it ends? Yeah, I mean, just spend about three hundred hours of your life watching it. And Which feel there. like every episode is the same thing. He drinks. He he. So he he drinks. He cheats on his. He wife. drinks. He cheats, and it's like, oh, it's a new uh, season. He's and then he, and then he creates a little bit of copy for the marketing company. He makes a bunch of money, buys something nice, and then cheats again, and then the episode's over. It's like season seven. You won't believe how he cheats again. It's yeah. like no, holy I, crap! I know I was gonna cheat. I know that. So what is anything grinding your gears that you want to bring up or anything like that going on in the world today? Oh, God. Not political. Yeah, that's a tough question. Not political. Um, no, not really. I mean, I'm looking forward to hopefully 21 being a better year. And uh, I hope, I think, I think yourself included, plus, plus everyone we know is hoping the same thing. And, um, I don't know. I want to get back to normal. I, I want to get back to the well, interactions well, and the camaraderie. Well, here's like the deal. That. Here's the deal. You and I both know that it's never going to go back to the way it was. You know, it won't. I mean, whether it's uh, companies not having office space, whether it's companies not allowing vendors coming in to do the normal breakfast or whether it's this and that and all that stuff. So what is that? What, I mean, what are you excited about kind of the, the new uh, oil field coming coming up? I, I guess the one caveat and the one positive is that before – March of this year, right? I I couldn't for a shot in hell get a customer to join me on a video conference. Really? I mean, for the most part, yeah. Okay. Because it was so abnormal. Like I would fly up there and I would schedule a meeting and we would have a meeting and I'd bring a couple of people over there and I'd get everyone comfortable. But you know, and, and at this point, at least we can do a little bit more work remotely. Oh, absolutely. I think that I think a lot of our work, and I think the oil field needs to regear itself for working remotely and all those kind of things. Because you're seeing some companies do that. Yeah, you what are. we do professionally is not totally meant all the time to be remote or this absence no, from no, the customer no. experience, you need right? To have the interaction, right? And so it's 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 increasingly difficult with what we do on the service side to be able to service our customers in a way that they feel like, you know, they feel like they've been. Um, Attended to to right. the level they need to, based on the kind of uh, needs, requirements, uh, information, all those kind of yeah. things. And if you just sterilely send emails, it gets I old. Think, I think people are dissatisfied those kind of things. And so, at least video conferencing becoming more available and people becoming more used to it is a good thing. But at the same time, I just much rather go hop on a meet someone for coffee. Meet someone for coffee or you know funny, go back, on a back conference the, table and yeah. just go hash it out. You know what's right? funny back in the day in March it's like hey man I'm going to FaceTime back in the day. I'm going to in March I'm going to FaceTime you like why the fuck? No, you're not no. FaceTiming me, dude. You're going to text me. Now it's like why is this guy texting me? Why isn't he FaceTiming me? So it's kind of like it's kind of shifting all that. Yeah. It really has and we're never it, it's going to be a new normal unfortunately and uh, unfortunately and fortunately 
You know, I mean, yeah. I think certain tricks that are kind of a uh, kind of a uh, uh, thriving during these times are going to excel, and also, and certain things that are kind of a waste of money back in the day, you know, are going to kind of get phased out. You know what I mean? So. Uh, I'm kind of excited where it's going to go. And I just think, uh, you know, the people stay, you know, heads down, working hard. And honestly, I, th- I think it's going to kind of turn out great for the the newer gen, the, the, the crew change that we've always heard about is happening. No, it's definitely been accelerated. And then I kind of add to that. This is, yeah, this is definitely going to be a genesis for the new oil yeah. field, right? This is going to be the new beginnings. And uh, in some way, it's going to change. It's going to change drastically. And we don't know what it's going to look like a year from now. But No, we don't. But it'll, it's going to be like that, and it's going to be like that for a long time. Are you going to be on the service side in a year from now? Oh, yeah. You stay I'm on, not going anywhere. You stay on the dark side? I'm not going anywhere. Well, that's good to hear. This is great. Well, you have anything else to bring up with me? No, I just want to know when you're going to get a haircut. It's COVID cut, man. I can't. You're like... I can't. You're like David Carr when we couldn't win a game. I just... I can't get a cut. You know, I probably do need a haircut. I just, um, it's one of those things. It's like I'll get around to it. I'll get around, but it, uh, it's it's also but also I'm all doing this podcast, so I don't have time to do haircuts. I have to put out quality content for the listeners out there. Okay, okay. Listen, I wasn't attacking you. No, I wasn't attacking. I you. feel like you are, Jamie. Do you feel attacked? I might. Yeah, I do. I do a little. James, bit. I, I'm very sensitive. I'm very sensitive, James. All right, anyone. So um, if you want to tune in on the next time I'm getting a haircut or you have any questions for uh, James Metcalf III, um, please uh, please let me know. You can reach out to me and find him on LinkedIn as well. Again, this is uh, James, Metcalf the, James Metcalf III, uh, the Senior Vice President of Operations at Intrepid Directional Drilling Specialist. And if you have any questions for him or me, you can reach out. You can find him on LinkedIn. You can find him um, or reach out to me. Um, you just message us at roundtherotary at cap-petro.com. Again, that's roundtherotary at cap-petro.com. James, appreciate you coming in, buddy. Yeah. Really enjoyed this. It was a pleasure. Thanks, JP. Next time you're in town, let's do this again. Oh, man. I don't know. What do you, why not? <laughs> is this, so is this, No, of course. We will have to do a sequel to this. So before we started uh, recording this, you said you kind of shrugged it off uh, dismissively. Like, this is my third podcast, by the way. No, no, but I also... Followed that statement up. I didn't. I don't care. I, no, no. I don't. No, no, no. I know you don't care. I don't let me. Care. I, the, for the listeners, this is the truth. I followed th- that statement up with, but this is my first face-to-face podcast. Okay. The other two I did were one with two? my sister. What, what was that? Trailblazing what? text. Okay. That was more of just a general, you know, what the hell? Did, what the hell are you all about? Okay. And then the second one That's was David. Kind of what this is, but okay. Yeah, but she also knows a ton about me and all the dirt, so. We want to get I there. told her to draw it back. A we want bit. to get there. So was the second, and then one. the second one was David Gibson with Gibson. And, Love David Gibson, but that but both of those were virtual, right? So this is my first face to face. Wait, you did a virtual? Oh yeah, okay. Both of them were like like Zoom, whatever you want to say. So Scott. wait, were you were you on live, Vidor Locksmith? Oh yeah. Oh really? I was on live. Yeah. That's that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I even got a haircut earlier that day. Anyway, I didn't. So anyway, so James, I appreciate you coming in, buddy. I enjoyed this, man. And I'll tell you one thing. I, I wish you continued success. And I uh, and uh, hopefully 2021 is better for both of us and the oil field and everyone else out there. And uh, again, if any, James, I appreciate you coming in. And uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, JP. Dad. Appreciate it.